<laughs> um, God is good. Amen. That's amazing. You know, I uh, um, after last week's um, <laughs> situation, um, <laughs> you know, I've been amazed what uh, this week I've heard from so many people in our church. Uh, and just, I think Kathy sharing that prompts me to just share this briefly with you that um, I, yeah, I don't know if it's just isolated to our church, probably not, but I feel like uh, many in our church this last couple of weeks um, have been attacked by Satan in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I'm, you know, we, we always have to be careful of like, you know, for the boogeyman's, right? You know, like everything is Satan's fault. But, but in essence, like you read scripture, right? All evil, right? The father of lies, right? It all comes from one source, right? And, and so it's not wrong for us to equate sinful behaviors and attacks on God's people as being from Satan. Uh, and I think that's a good perspective to have. But, but understand that I, I've been amazed though by this, like, uh, and I'll just equate it to the, the rob, the rob, burglary. I was corrected by some <coughs> officers uh, last week. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, burglary that happened last week uh, when our church was burglarized. God did not stop that from happening. Right? I mean, a lot of times we look at God and, and we think, you know, he's promises to be our shield and a protector and this kind of stuff. And so the assumption is that we will never have that kind of stuff happen. And so when it does happen, we immediately go to the why questions. Why God, why'd you let us allow this to happen? But see, God never promises to never, that we will never experience trouble. Matter of fact, what he does promise is that we will experience trouble. But what he promises is that he's in the midst of that trouble as well, that he's working there, that he's with us in that. And the amazing thing about us being burglarized, the reason that we celebrated last week, we celebrated people robbing us, taking our stuff, right? I'm going to say rob. I'm sorry. It just feels right to me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The reason we celebrate that is because God was in the midst of it. And because that happened, we got to see God do something amazing. This little girl, like, why did God allow this to happen? That's not the question. Where is God in the midst of it happening? And then to see, just like the blind man, was it his father and mother who sinned? Was it him who was just living a life of sin? Is that why he's blind? No, Jesus says he was blind for God's glory so that he could see and that we could see, we could get witness to the power the faithfulness, the goodness of God. And so the amazing thing about I, mean, I think we are under attack in a rare form for whatever reason right now. Maybe it's just isolated to our church, but I doubt it. But the amazing thing that I keep hearing is stories like this, where God is showing up in surprising ways. In Reading, in 2022, when you get burglarized, you do not get any of your stuff back, and you never probably know who did it. But we got like most of our stuff back. We know who did it. And here's the amazing miracle. This gal that reached out to our wife, my wife, who, our wife. You guys, this is beautiful thing. It's right here. We are not a cult. <laughs> Anyway, 
Um, this gal even reached out this morning saying that she wants to come to church. Amen, right? Yeah. I don't know. I already preached. Maybe I should just sit down. But. God is good. It, it does actually fit somewhat with this message as well. Um, you know, because we can praise the Lord. We have a God who is faithful, right? We have a God who promises things, right? He gives us lots of promises. Some of them are like corporate big, you know, picture promises. Like promises that, you know what, if you bow your knee to Jesus, Lord, you are accepted fully and forever in his family. Like that is a great promise. It, it, it gives us, you know, courage and strength and it gives us hope, gives us peace to know that even when we screw up, it's okay that God is big enough. He's bigger than our mess ups, right? He's bigger than our sin, that even those things can't prevent us from getting to experience that full realization of being in the family of God. We have a God who promises big things, but he also promises smaller things, if you will, maybe individual things. We have a God who's, who's personal. He doesn't just promise big things. He doesn't just call us to the big, you know, universal things. He also has specific words for each of us. You know, as we mentioned earlier, I, I, I remember, you know, a sophomore in high school when God first called me to ministry. The call is, come follow me, kind of like Abraham. Like, come follow me, and I will bless you. What a, what a great thing. Like, that it's not, you know, everyone, not everyone's called to be a pastor. For whatever reason, he chose me. And so, you know, there's courage in that. There's, there's excitement about that. There's, there's uh, hope in that, that, that God has specific word for me. But here's the thing is that he's got it for all of us. For a long time, uh, the call to ministry was seen as just, you know, th that was the only people that God would call. No, no, no. God calls all of us. First of all, universally to himself. But second of all, he's got a specific purpose in mind for each of us. He's got a specific career for each of us. He's got a specific direction for our life. He's got specific people that he wants us to interact with, to share the love of Jesus with. So there's not just a one call, and that call is to ministry. There are many calls. And if you haven't heard that call yet, then let me encourage you to seek the Lord. Seek Jesus. What is that call? Maybe you already have. You just haven't identified it with God yet. <laughs> but that's the amazing thing is that we have God who not only calls us and promises us these great things, but he's faithful to those promises. He follows through. He can make it happen. And that is an awesome and powerful and wonderful thing that our hope is that even when, you know, I step out into ministry and it's not going the way I thought it would go. Even when I finish school, after killing myself, working full-time, going to school full-time, having three kids, trying to manage all of that craziness, getting it all done because I know this is what I have to do in order to be a pastor. And then I get done with school. I'm ready to go. And God just is silent for two years. I continue to work in this graveyard position at a grocery store that had no hope in it and no joy in it. When it gets hard like that, there's still hope. Not that I can somehow do it, but that God, the one who promised, is faithful. Amen? Amen. But how do we respond to you know, when God does step in, when he 
he calls us, when he gives us this promise, what do we do with it? How we respond to it is important. And I, I think there's a lot of typical ways that may we fall into that, that aren't the best for dealing with God's promises. And this story in Genesis 27, this, and, and I, I've got to correct that. It's not, this event, this real life event that happens in Genesis 27 with the whole blessing of Jacob. I think in the story we see some, some, some poor responses to God's promise. Of course, the big picture promise is that, right, you know, that God is going to make this family into a great nation. Abraham, right, he, he gets that first call, and then he goes out, and some 25 years later, he finally gets the son, Isaac. Yes. Well, Isaac, kind of the same thing. Isaac has, has been married for 20-some years, and he hasn't had any kids yet, and finally, God shows up. I think, wait a second, this is supposed to be a great nation, and yet the first two, you know, fathers of this nation both only have one kid? Well, he has twins, right? And so one, you know, I mean, it takes forever to happen, right? You would think, oh my gosh, and so, but yet, this promise still is there. And yet, God gives this weird kind of promise. Before the two sons are born, Jacob and Esau, Esau and Jacob, the younger, or the older, will serve the younger. Hmm. It, it, it kind of throws a little bit of a monkey wrench in it, and we'll see this. As we work through this story, this reality that, that God has chosen the younger against the cultural norm to be the one who will receive and manifest the promise. And this, these characters, Isaac and Rebekah, Esau and Isaac, huh, Jacob, <clears throat> they all know. They all know the promise. It's not a hidden fact. Like Esau wasn't like shielded from this. Oh, we're not going to tell Esau because he won't like it. No, they all knew it, Right? All four of them knew of this promise that was, that was proclaimed to the family before the twins were born. But how they respond to this promise, all four of them respond in actually pretty bad ways. And so let's identify and look at that. Okay, I'm really torn. I'm going to do it. Okay, Genesis 27. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so it's, it's lengthy, but it's, uh, we'll, we'll get there. It's all right. God's word, right? May the word of the Lord be heard, and may we be changed and impacted by it. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for, from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. 
But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and shall seem to be mock, and I see, shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father! And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your, my, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it, near to, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons be bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, oh my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall, you dwell, shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. 
By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which, with, with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets that you have what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So we see four responses to the promise that was given. The first, of course, is Esau. And Esau is filled, I think, with some jealousy and anger. He actually despises God's promise. He's like, he's like, wait a second, I'm the oldest. Like, I'm supposed to be the one who gets the blessing. Come on, this is how it works. And so he challenges God's perspective and God's promise that Jacob will be the one. He's like, no, 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 wait, that's not right. And he sees God as being kind of this fickle God who just kind of is not fair and just arbitrarily chooses whoever he will in order to bless. And, and so, so, so Esau is just filled with his rage, filled with his anger, filled with this disdain for God. We see this disdain and, and just even the way that he sells his birthright. You know, in the story, he kind of complains about it, like, oh, that Jacob has stolen it. But, but he was the one who sold it. He, he gave it away freely because I think in his mind, he's like, you know, God's already blessed Jacob anyway. That's where the promise is. So what does it matter? So here, God, just take this. I don't even care about this birthright. And, but also we see in, in chapter 25 that, that Esau has already married women of the surrounding cultures. Because again, he just kind of, in the face of God, just like, you know, oh, you know what, I'm just going to, I don't care what you think, God, I'm going to do it my way. And his response actually kind of proves, in a sense, that God is judged rightly. But he is distraught and upset and angry that God has chosen someone else. We need to recognize in this the hardening of his heart. You know, it's not like God didn't have a promise for Esau as well. It's not like God wasn't pursuing Esau as well. God loved him. He saw him. He understood him. He had a blessing for him as well. But Esau was so upset, so focused on what he wasn't getting that he couldn't soften his heart to be able to receive what God was giving to him. And we have, I think, a tendency sometimes to do this. The first response to a promise is obedience. The first response to a call is to say, yes, Lord, and, and not say, well, but what about that person? How come I can't be blessed like they're being blessed? Why, why can't I get the stuff that they get? Why can't I have a bunch of really nice houses and really wealthy? Why can't I have that, God? 
Why, why can't I be the one that's in the really big church with all the people and everybody knows him? Why can't I be that guy? Why can't, you know, this is our tendency sometimes with God's promises is we're like, wait a second, uh, yeah, that's really nice, God, but I really kind of liked that promise over there. Can I have that one instead? right? And this is what we do, right? And, and we, we begin to compare and then complain like, God, like, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, this is great and all, but that's really what I want. And the jealousy builds and the frustration builds. And if we don't put a check on it, we're going to end up like Esau longing to kill his brother, his twin brother. We must learn the first thing, the foundational thing that we need to learn when we receive a promise of God is to surrender to his will. You know, as, as human beings, we, are, we, are, we hold a privileged position in creation. We're not like the animals. We're not like the fish. We're not like the birds. We're not like the trees and the vegetation. We bear the image of God, and because of that, we have an opportunity for intimate relationship with our creator. But what we don't have we don't have the ability to survive on our own. We don't have the ability to self-identify. We do not have the ability to self-determine the life that we're going to live. The creator, the one who created us, is the one who gets that right. You know, when we begin to ask the why questions, what we're really saying is, God, I want to have the right to be able to choose. I want to have the right to be able to determine what I'm going to do. I want to have the right to be able to do things my way. I want to have, I want to, I want to, I want to, instead of recognizing that he is the creator. And we are contingent on him. Every breath that we breathe is dependent on his Observance, his blessing, his choice. As Romans 9 talks about this reality that can the clay pot say to the potter, hey, what are you doing? Why did you make me for this? We are mere clay pots. And we should be satisfied with the fact that the potter ever even chose to create us and enjoy greatly whatever he chooses to use us for. When God comes and when the promise comes, how do we respond? We respond with humility, with thanksgiving. We respond with surrender. Yes, Lord, whatever you'd like. The second we see here is Isaac and his response. Now, Isaac has this great connection with his son. I mean, you could just tell, right? I mean, these two just kind of hit it off, right? These guys go on hunting and fishing weekends together, right? They're, they're, they, just, they just really just hit it off. I mean, they're just like father and son combo. I kind of think of my dad and this. Like, my dad and I, we just, we get along. We just love to be together. We have a good time. We kind of think the same on a lot of stuff. Some stuff we don't, which is also fun. But anyway, we, I mean, it's, it's great, you know? We just, we love hanging out, like going on the golf course, right? I, I don't, my dad doesn't hunt. He doesn't fish. I don't hunt. I don't fish. Not because of him necessarily, because it's just boring. I'm sorry, but it's just boring. Anyway, um, but golf, right? That's not boring. Right, Mike? Please help me out here, right? Uh, anyway, so anyway, but I love being with my dad, right? And I see that with, with Isaac, right, and, and Esau. Like, they just love being together. Like, they just, they like similar things, and they do stuff, and they have kind of similar perspectives, right? And probably a similar body build, the whole thing, right? They just, they just are connected. And we see that here. And because of that, in Isaac's mind, in his perspective, he's like, Wait a second, God. <laughs> he 
Esau is obviously the one who should be the promised one here, the promised child. I mean, come on, look at him. He's a big, strapping, wrong, oh, strong man, man. Yeah, he can do it, right? He can do it. My, does he, Jacob? I mean, come on. He's like hanging out with his mom all the time. Like, if he, he probably couldn't kill an animal if he needed to, to survive. Like, you know, this kind of thing, right? And so, so, so Isaac has this view that God has somehow missed it. But the interesting thing is that Isaac is in this position of being the arbiter and sense, he's the conduit of this blessing. And so what does Isaac do? You know, it's like after you know, Esau kind of messes up and you know, just throws away his birthright, Isaac kind of is like, wait a second, I gotta do something about this. I need to make sure that, that Esau, the, the rightful heir of the throne, that he was, it gets the promise, he gets the blessing that he's supposed to. So he creates this secret, like he hatches this secret plan, right? Okay. So he talks to Esau, okay, Esau, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go ahead now. You're going to, you know, get some game. Come here. We're going to have this great dinner. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a good time mm, eating some good food. And then I'm going to bless you. He thinks, yes, this is the way. I'm going to kind of subvert this. The, 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 the blessing that was really meant to be done in a family dynamic with the family and potentially friends and servants there to observe the blessing of the son, right? He's going to do it in secret. He's going to try to subvert God's plan. He's controlling the blessing. Oh, God, you're going to bless who I say you're going to bless because I have the power kind of thing. And so he steps into this role of subverting, trying to subvert God's will. We can do this, I think, as well. Especially when God calls us to pass on the blessings to others. We, 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 we can get pretty judgmental about who we're going to pass those blessings on to. Well, you know, I'm not going to, yeah, they need to deserve it. I mean, they, they need to, you know, earn it a little bit. I mean, they need to be, I'm not just going to throw it out there to anybody. I mean, come on, God. <laughs> you know, it's like, almost like, you know, we've got to somehow make sure that we are helping God out in making these decisions. And so when he calls us to love our enemies, we're like, well, I mean, I mean, really, our enemy, I mean, they need to show some kind of like that they're turning around. Then I'll love them, you know. Calls us to give money to somebody that we know is not going to use that money for anything good. <laughs> well, you know, come on. I mean, God, I don't want, I, I know you're great and you're awesome and stuff, but you don't know this culture like I do. I mean, you don't know these people. I mean, they just do things like really bad with your money. And so I just, not, I'm not, we're not doing that. You know, we, so we control this blessing Forgiveness is only for those who repent. Oh, dang. Right? I mean, we have this tendency to sometimes try to control God's promises and his blessing, try to help him make the right decisions. But the reality is we don't know the future. You know, we think we know so much, but we don't. God knows every individual, not just who they were, but who they will be. Who are we to limit, to control God's promises and blessings? Who are we to determine who they're for and who they're not? When we receive the promises of God, especially when the blessings are meant to go through us, we need to trust God's purposes. Trust that he knows. We are not the arbiters of God's blessing. We are simply the conduit of God's blessing. 
We don't pick and choose who deserves it. We just pass it on. God calls us to pass on his blessings to people we feel don't deserve it. Like Jonah, we can be tempted to head to Tarsus in order to avoid sharing the blessing of God with evil people. God tells us to support the unqualified person who got the promotion instead of us. God leads us to forgive the person who hurt us without their repentance. God prompts us to give money to someone we know is not going to use it for good. God asks us to open our home to a vagrant. When these calls come, we are tempted to think God doesn't know what he's doing. We can even feel an obligation to step in and try to protect God from being taken advantage of. Instead of just following his lead, we work against his will. The reality is, is God's blessings are not sparse. He's not going to run out of blessings. He's got plenty to go around. There's plenty, so much, that we can throw some to places that may not actually appreciate it. We must, when we hear God's promises, not second-guess him and try to re-overthink him or, or protect him. We try to just, instead just to be generous, trusting his will, trusting his perspective. Third, we have Rebecca. Rebecca is now, we kind of take a turn here, like Esau and Isaac, they, they, they took a very negative perspective of the promise. Like, you know, God missed it. God messed up. Rebecca and Jacob take a very positive look. And yet, despite their positivity, they too have some poor responses to the promise. You know, Rebecca is excited that God has promised that Jacob is going to be the one of prom the child of promise. And so she, she uh, favors Jacob like God does. She, you know, spends her time with him and supporting him and caring for him and encouraging him, helping him in whatever way she can. Uh, perhaps she's a better judge of character or perhaps, you know, she distrusted God's wisdom. Either way, Jacob was the right man for her and she, or the right son for her. She was making sure that she was there for him and cared for him. But she fell into a typical mistake that many of us fall into when we receive a promise from God. And that's thinking that, that the promise is a fragile promise. <laughs> that when God calls us and he promises something that, that boy, that's just it's really, really sensitive promise. And, and that if everything doesn't work out just right, that that promise is just going to get destroyed or get broken or something's going to mess it up and it's not going to happen. And so, so Rebecca has this perspective that she's got to protect the promise. She's got to somehow, you know, make sure that it all comes out and, and works out in the end because, you know, I mean, God promised this thing and, and it's so fragile it might get broken and she's worried that her husband's going to mess it all up. <laughs> worried that, you know, that husband of mine, oh my gosh, he just never listens to me, right? And so he's like, you need to know this and stop this. So she hears, she's, you know, hearing, you know, in the back, you know, oh, just make, I'm just doing dishes, no big deal, making dinner, no big deal, right? But they're always listening, always listening. So she hears like Jacob or Isaac and Esau's conversation. And she's like, oh, he's going to try to do this little blessing thing behind, ah, we're going to get him. So she goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, hey, come on, let's go. We got to get some food and, and push together this plan in order to protect the blessing. She's afraid that, that her husband's going to mess it up, the circumstances of the world are going to mess it up, that, that God can't handle it, that if she doesn't protect it, if she's not there for it, that it's all going to fall apart and it's not going to come true. 
Many of us have, have done the same thing with God's promises. The temptation that comes that, that when God says something to us, like even when he calls us to a ministry or to a mission or to a career, that like we have to then somehow make it happen. I know God's called me to this career. I know God's called me to this mission field. I've got to be the one to make it happen. And so anything that happens, any kind of walls that come up, we get our pickaxe out and start trying to tear down the wall because we've got to get there. It's up to us. We've got to do it. No, no, no. It's God's promise. We follow him. He tears down walls. And, you know, God forbid that we might have to wait for a little while for the promise to be fulfilled. I mean, thank God that a lot of promises happen right away. I mean, God, God fulfills us right away. That's, that's awesome. But there are some promises, right? I, I've known of some young people called to the mission field that never made it to the mission field until they were old people. So, right? I mean, some promises take some time and and especially when they take time, we can get really impatient. And so we think we've got to do it on our own. We've got to somehow make it happen. Instead of trusting. Instead of trusting that he can do it, that it's his promise, that he's faithful. We must let go of our fear and trust in God's sovereignty. This is the amazing thing. Is that God is able to orchestrate all of this stuff. I don't know how. It literally, it's, it's impossible. I, I can't believe it. You know, coincidences don't happen, right? God has orchestrated all of the lives of all of the people. And when he steps in and gives a promise, he doesn't just know what happened. He knows what's going to happen. He knows tomorrow. He's able to orchestrate things in order to fulfill that promise. This is why over 300 uh, prophecies about Jesus, all fulfilled by Jesus. How is that possible? Because before Jesus showed up, God knew what was going to happen. He is sovereign. He knows. He is God. He can make it happen. If he promises, he will fulfill. Finally, we have Jacob's response. Now, he's excited, right? I mean, who wouldn't be excited to be the chosen one, right? Right? Excited about, you know, yeah, God's chosen me. Yeah, the younger brother, I'm in, yeah. All younger brothers, by the way, think that they should be, you know, the first, right? You know, they should all be, because they're way better than everybody else. So um, anyway, I'm a younger brother, if you didn't know. But, uh, <laughs> but I just had a sister. I'm actually the oldest son. So right, I mean, it's double, double whammy there. Anyway, so he, he's, he's excited, but he gets, you know, because of this promise, there's a confidence to him, right? There's this like, you know, kind of like, yeah, God's going to bless me. I'm going to have all this stuff. It's going to be great, right? And so he steps out. And, and I think even the manipulation of his brother, right, you know, to, to get the birthright, you know, it kind of shows this kind of boldness and confidence. Like, yeah, hey, oh, come on, you, know, you want this birth? I got some food for you. Are you hungry? How about your birthright, right? You know, like this whole kind of thing that he goes through. But also we see it throughout his life. Like he continues to deceive and to... Uh, to mess with people because of this boldness that he has. Uh, and, and he's in bold to step in to do what his mom says. Like, I mean, who would do that? That's just crazy. Like, okay, let's put some sheep, you know, fur on our arms and our neck and let's go in and just pretend to be my bigger brother, right? Like, like dad's not, I mean, he's blind, but he's not blind, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, how's this going to happen? But he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go, mom. Come on, let's make, let's make it happen. Uh, so uh, 
it's just amazing, uh, this confidence. But Jacob here we see is, is focused on something else. He, he's actually, he limits God's promise. Because for Jacob, this is really just about earthly treasures. He's just excited to have a bunch of wealth, right? Of having this. He, he, there's no, in his mind, there's no spiritual perspective on this. This is why he doesn't really worry about, you know, lying and cheating and stealing, right? He's like, ah, you know, it's not, this is just, you know, this is God's promises. It's going to happen, man. I mean, look what he did with Abraham and I, this is going to happen. Like, I got this. But then he just like doesn't recognize that this isn't just about blessing him physically. It's not just about a wealth thing, that, that, that there's actually a spiritual element to this. That there's a spiritual aspect, that there's a spiritual blessing that God is giving as well, not just a physical thing. And we can fall into this trap as well. When God promises something to us, we, we automatically go to the earthly, tangible things. Like God says, hey, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have a, a great family. So our immediate perspective, you know, is, oh, I'm going to have a bunch of kids. But what about Abraham and Sarah? Like, you're going to be a great nation, but you're only going to have one kid. Wait a second. What, wait, that, that doesn't compute. But we go to the, the tangible, to the natural, the physical, right? And say, okay, if God's promised a big family, then it's going to be a big family. Like, I'm going to have a ton of kids, right? If God has promised to protect us, then that means nothing ever going to go wrong in our life, right? I mean, we're, our life is going to be great. It's just going to be this amazing physical thing that we're going to enjoy all our life. And no, tan, no, no issues, no problems, no trouble, right? It's going to be great. But Again, God's promises, like oftentimes, most of the time, it has and includes physical blessings in it. But we have to expand our mind and not limit God's blessings to just physical and tangible things. Because there are promises that he makes that are actually more spiritual than physical. Again, the protection of God doesn't mean that no one will ever hurt us. No one will ever break into our home or our church. It means that God has got us in his hand and no one can pluck us out of his hand. So to recognize when promises come, to be careful not to limit those promises to just physical, tangible things that we can see and experience in this world, to recognize that oftentimes the greatest blessings are not things that we can touch and feel and see and hear. The greatest blessings are the things that we get to enjoy in eternity. We must let God be the one who chooses what the blessing looks like. And the amazing thing is, is you know, we oftentimes think, um, we think we know what we need. We think we know what we want. And so, you know, we get these promises and we like, we begin to define for God what that looks like, what the blessing looks like, what the, what the result looks like. And we think, that's it. If I just get this, then it's going to be great. But God knows us perfectly. He knows what will sustain us. He knows what will satisfy us. And if we will let go of our view of what that looks like, and just open up our minds and our arms and our life and say, okay, God, what does that look like to you? We will be blessed. We'll have our, our who, who prayed that? Bless our socks off. That's who, somebody prayed that this morning somewhere. I don't know if it was in here or if it was down there. But anyway, like he will bless, it'll be so amazing. Like our socks will just fall off. <laughs> I, what does that mean anyway? They mean, no, I don't know, there's gotta be something. Else. Anyway, but <laughs> it's gonna be so good. 
All right, worship team, come up. Um, just to close real quick. God loves to give promises and blessing to his children. There are so many, there's so many things that he already has blessed us with, but there's so much more that he wants to bless us with. There's, he's got calls for our life, and they're li- big things and little things. It's not just a call of a career. Sometimes it's a call of just speaking a word of encouragement to somebody. Sometimes it's just a, a call to pray for someone. Sometimes it's something really tiny in the moment that you, you, you may not even ever remember again. But those calls, those promises that come with that is a blessing. And if we just choose to follow, that's the first. And then choose to give him, trust his perspective. Give him the authority. Let him choose and have patience and wait for him to fulfill that promise and not freak out and think we've got to do something to make it happen. And then fully receive whatever blessing comes from it, whether it looks like what we thought it was going to look like or not. That's, that's the call. That's what we're called into. That's the promise that he wants us to step in. That's how we should respond to promises. Amen? All right. Let's uh, stand and sing a song. Listen to the whispers. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand and sing a song, and then I'll come up with a closing passage. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your goodness to us today. We thank you for uh, the stories of your amazing power and goodness and the testimonies given earlier at the beginning and uh, uh, all that you're doing, Lord. It's, it's amazing. You are a God who promises and you fulfill those promises. You step in. You are faithful, faithful to your people and the big things and in the small things. So, Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to know the calls on our life that you give each day and and help us to step out in faith in those things. Not uh, second-guessing, not questioning, not asking uh, or comparing uh, what you're calling us to, what other people you've called to, uh, that you, we would just trust you, that we would step out and trust your goodness and your love, trust your, your uh, understanding and your wisdom, trust your sovereignty and your power and that you can do what you say you will do. Thank you that you do more, (laughs) more than we can ever imagine. And we just ask you would help us to step out in faith each day to do what you call us to with hope that you will be faithful. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 and following. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Uh, 6.30 on the pool party, not 3.30, by the way. Uh, Just letting you guys know. uh, I guess that's been a change. But also, if you'd like prayer this morning, please come forward. we got some guys that would love to pray with you. uh, And uh, have a blessed day today. Give me the faith.